Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we, this morning? Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to um, gather together and to fellowship and to worship and to encourage one another. Lord, so often we take this privilege for granted, yet we realize there are places around the world where um, they can't do what we're doing here today. And so, Lord, thank you for um, each one that is here this morning. And Lord, we pray that as we uh, continue to worship and continue to look into your word, that uh, your spirit would speak to our hearts. And Lord, that um, because of uh, being here today, our lives would be encouraged, our lives would be changed. And so may the spirit of God uh, open up um, your word to us and may uh, it fall on hearts that are open and receptive to your word today. Uh, Lord, thank you that uh, this this uh, book, the Bible, is unlike any other book. It is the very word of God. And so, Lord, we bring ourselves under the authority of your word this morning. May we not just be hearers, but also doers. And we'll thank you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We are going to uh, come to the conclusion of the Gospel of John uh, this morning. We've been looking through the Gospel of John for uh, quite a long time. And uh, we're, we're in John chapter 20. And uh, last week we looked at John chapter uh, 19 and also looked at John chapter 21 a little bit where Peter denied Christ. And uh, we got into John 21, so we're going to look at John chapter 20 this morning and um I don't know how long we've been in the book of John, but it's probably been uh, uh, maybe seven, eight, nine months, but uh, we'll we'll wrap that up uh, this morning. We're going to think about personal encounters with the risen Christ. <clears throat> uh, I hope you believe that Jesus changes everything because he, he does. All through the scriptures, we see people who have life-changing experiences when they encounter God, when they encounter Christ starts with Moses and the leader of the nation of Israel, and he's up on Mount Sinai, and he actually gets a glimpse of the glory of God. And when he came down from the mountain, his face was was shining, it was glowing, and so much so that he ended up putting a veil on it. Moses was changed because he had an encounter with God. We go to Isaiah chapter 6, and the prophet Isaiah has a, an encounter with God, and it's the, the year that King Uzziah died. And King Uzziah had been the king of Israel for 52 years. And now their leader is gone, and Isaiah has a vision. He has a vision of God. 
He's on his throne and the angels and the seraphim are, are surrounding that throne and, and they are worshiping him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah uh, falls down and he says, I'm, I'm unclean. And he has this encounter with God. Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, had an encounter with uh, Jesus. He's on the road to Damascus. He's, uh, he's going to find Christians to put him into jail, and Jesus encounters him there, and it's Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's life is dramatically changed. And he goes on to become the great missionary apostle that, uh, that uh, visited all of those churches and established those churches and wrote a lot of our um, New, New Testament. We think of the Apostle John in um, his closing days of his life, and he's on the Isle of Patmos. He's been banished there because he's been preaching the gospel, and he has a vision of, of, of Christ. And it's found in Revelation chapter 1, and John describes uh, what he sees, and then he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And so <clears throat> this morning, we want to think about personal encounters with the risen of Christ. We're going to look at three of them from John chapter 20. Uh, but we're also going to think about the fact that um, what our world needs today <clears throat> and what we need today is exactly what happened in John chapter 20. We need to experience uh, these personal encounters with, with Christ if there's one thing people need today, it's a proper view and an understanding of who God is. So let's, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20, and uh, we're going to uh, look at John chapter 20 and these three personal encounters uh, with the risen Christ. <clears throat> familiar, familiar territory here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because this is, uh, this is Easter Sunday. This is Resurrection Day number one. And um, we're going to look at it from John chapter 20, verse 1, encounter number one. Uh, let's read beginning in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. And so here, John, uh, John's giving us the setting here. It's Sunday morning, the crucifixion was on Friday, and it's early in the morning, and it's still dark. Um, I remember years ago, our, our um, youngest son uh, was attending Lenaway Christian School, and uh, we were living in um, Chelsea, and he wanted to uh, play uh, freshman basketball. And so he went out for freshman basketball, and that was great. We encouraged him to, to do that. And I remember when he came home and he uh, told us, uh, well, freshman basketball practice starts at 6.15 in the morning. They've got the, the early morning slot for practice down in Adrian. And uh, so the guys used to say, we'll see you dark and early. And uh, <clears throat> my wife would leave at 5.30 in the morning <laughs> and take him down there. Uh, for for freshman basketball practice. Well, it, it's dark on on Sunday morning, and we don't know what time the sun rose in that part of uh, the Middle East on that particular day. But it's probably five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, and here's Mary Magdalene going to the tomb. Now, 
we need to understand who Mary Magdalene is. It's a Jewish name. There are a lot of Marys in the Bible. She came from a town called Magdala, so she came to be known as Mary Magdalene. But we can get a little insight into her background when we go to Luke chapter 8 and the first three verses. Listen to what Dr. Luke writes. After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So here we are, introduced to Mary Magdalene. <clears throat> she had a, uh, a problem. She was oppressed by demons. She had seven demons inside of her, and, and Jesus delivered her of those demons, and she went from bondage to freedom. And it says that Mary uh, became a, a, a faithful follower of Jesus. So much so that not only did she support him with his, her encouragement and presence, but with her finances during Jesus' ministry. And so this is the Mary Magdalene that's showing up early on Sunday morning on that first resurrection day. And uh, isn't it interesting that um, Mary, um, Mary's there at the end? You know, when you think about uh, the, the New Testament and, and the, the 12 apostles, there was one apostle at the cross when Jesus died. It was John. Um, Peter had denied Jesus. The rest had fled. But here's this group of, of women that are near the cross, and they're, they're there at the crucifixion. Um, we read about it in Mark chapter 15. Mark records this in his record of uh, the crucifixion. It says, some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, uh, the, and uh, of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. And so here's Mary Magdalene. She's faithful to the end because Jesus has changed her life and delivered her from bondage to freedom, from death to life. Now it says as, as, as Mary's uh, on her way there, and we know that uh, she's, she's bringing some spices to anoint the body of Jesus. She's also wondering how she's going to get into the, the tomb, how, who's going to roll away the stone. And she gets there on that dark Sunday morning, and to her surprise, the stone has been rolled away. We read it in the rest of John chapter 20, verse 1. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that would be John, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put them. And so here's Mary expecting to see the tomb sealed and the body of Jesus there, and she gets there and the stone is rolled away and the body is gone. And she makes a logical assumption, although an incorrect one. Someone has stolen the body of Jesus. 
And we know the story that Peter and John, she, she tells, uh, uh, runs to Peter and John and tells them that. And Peter and John run to the tomb and, and they, they look in and, and discover that the body is, is, is gone. But I want us to pick up um, the first personal encounter in verse 11 of John chapter 20. It's Mary Magdalene's personal encounter with the risen Christ. And isn't it amazing that, that God chose a Jewish woman, to be the very first person to see the risen Christ. No Jewish author would have made that up. That would have been inconceivable in in Jewish thinking in Jewish times. Isn't it interesting that the announcement of Jesus' birth was made to the lowly shepherds? And here, Jesus' first encounter is with Mary Magdalene. And so let's, let's look at this familiar passage. Verse, verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize it was Jesus. So it's, it's, it's dark, and, and Mary's crying, and so she doesn't recognize it as Jesus. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus, not recognizing him, not realizing it was Jesus. He asked her, same question the, the angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, If you have carried him away, tell me, where have you put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, one word, her name, Mary. And when Jesus says Mary, she recognized who it is. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which literally means my teacher. And Jesus has an encounter with with Mary Magdalene, and Mary goes back to tell the disciples, I have seen the risen Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Personal encounter number one with Jesus on that first resurrection day was Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene is is this uh, personal encounter with Jesus where she thinks the body's stolen. She thinks that someone's taken it and hidden it somewhere. And then Jesus says, Mary. And Jesus knows, or Mary knows, it's, it's her Savior. It's her teacher. It's her master. Well, on that first Easter day, that first resurrection day, there's a second encounter that John doesn't record. And we won't take time to go to Luke chapter 24, but in the afternoon of that first resurrection day, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. And he encounters two people on the road to Emmaus, and they enter into this conversation, and and uh, <clears throat> they're asking Jesus, well, uh, don't you know about what happened in Jerusalem? And they get into this long conversation, and Jesus uh, begins to talk, talk to them about the Messiah, <laughs> And it goes to the Old Testament and teaches these uh, two men on the road to Emmaus, and they actually invite Jesus to spend some time in their home. Uh, That was in the afternoon. 
John doesn't record that. But we're going to go to the second personal encounter with Jesus from John chapter 20, uh, beginning in verse 19 that, that John records. Uh, encounter number two, uh, or actually the, the third one in the sequence of four, is that Jesus then appears to the ten disciples. Now Judas is not there because he's already gone out and committed suicide. And later on we discover that Thomas is not there, but there are, there are ten disciples there. And this is Sunday night. This is Resurrection Sunday night. So in the morning, an encounter with Mary. In the afternoon, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Now, Sunday night, Resurrection night, and Jesus makes a surprise visit to the disciples. So let's, uh, let's look at it, <clears throat> beginning in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, and the disciples were together, Notice the context here. With the doors locked for fear of the Jews. So they are probably in that same room where they observed um, that last Passover and the Lord's Supper. They've probably gone back to that room. And it says that they're, um, they're all together and the doors are locked. They're under lockdown because they're thinking in their mind that if the religious Jewish leaders have killed their leader, crucified their leader, Jesus. Guess who may be next? They may be coming after his followers. And so they're, they're fearful. Uh, they've got the doors locked. Maybe just sanctified speculation. Maybe they've got a chair in front of the door, furniture blocking the door. And on that first Resurrection night, the disciples are there, doors locked, fear the Jews. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. It's, it's the Jewish greeting uh, that, that is a common greeting, shalom lecha. It means peace be with you, or as we would, uh, in our cultures, he's just saying hello. Be the normal greeting. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. Now we need to remember, I mean, we've had a long history of recorded scripture and know the doctrine of the resurrection, but uh, this is happening in real, real-time events. And Jesus now appears in that room and the disciples are trying to process all this. And he says, it's me. And he demonstrates it. He, he shows them. His hands, the scars from those nails. He shows them his side where that spear went through. Now this is Jesus' new resurrected, resurrected glorified uh, body. It was a physical body. And it still carried some marks from his body while he was on earth. It carried some scars. He says, see, it's, it's, it's me. It says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Probably an understatement. Jesus had predicted that earlier in uh, just uh, the day before in the upper room in John chapter 16 in his upper room discourse, verse 20, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. 
he's talking about his crucifixion. The, 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 the Roman soldiers and the religious leaders were rejoicing at, at the death of Jesus. You will weep and mourn. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Here it is. They, they, were, they were grieving, but now they're filled with joy because they see the risen Christ. And so in verse 21, again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. He actually commissions them. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. I've been sent down from God the Father to this world to accomplish a mission. And now my mission is almost accomplished. And now I am sending you out on a mission. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The good news now is that the gospel offers the forgiveness of sins. Michael Card in his commentary writes this about verse 23. If they do not forgive the disciples, if they refuse to display forgiveness in their lives, people will not find forgiveness. And so this encounter Number three on that resurrection day was with the ten disciples there in that upper room. And um, their fear was turned to joy because they had a personal encounter with Christ. Now there's one more in John chapter 20. And um, the, the third one that uh, John records in John chapter 20, the third personal encounter and John gives us some in context background uh, before we read about the encounter. Verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, uh, the word uh, literally means twin. So Thomas was probably, it was a twin, and he, he, Thomas is his Aramaic name, Didymus is his Greek name, they both, they both mean twin. Uh, John tells us he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So Thomas missed that first meeting. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, verse 25, when it says the disciples told him, that word told is the Greek word elegon. It's in the imperfect tense. It means continuous action. So they didn't just tell him one time. They kept telling Thomas over and over and over again, We've seen the risen Christ. We've seen him with our own eyes. He appeared to us in that upper room. But Thomas said to them, verse 26, unless I see the nail marks in the hands and put my finger where the nails were and my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe this until I see some proof for myself, some evidence for myself that Jesus is alive. And so therefore, Thomas throughout all of history has been been known as uh, Thomas the Doubter, Doubting Thomas. Now John records what happened, and it's and it's a week later. It's, it's a week later from the very first uh, evening appearance in verse 19, Uh, Verse 26, one week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. 
though the doors were locked. So the disciples, uh, you know, um, Christian growth is a prog- progress. It's, it's progressive. And, and they're still afraid, even though they've seen Jesus. And so they're still, still under a little bit of a lockdown. They're in the house again. Thomas, though, is with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. There's that uh, greeting again, Shalom Aleka. Hello. Then notice he addresses Thomas. He said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. What does Thomas do? Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. He, he recognizes who this is. It is the risen Christ. And now he sees him with his own eyes. And Thomas moves from doubt to faith and belief. Now Jesus pronounces a blessing. And this blessing includes you and me. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Thomas, you you had to see me physically. You had to see the risen Christ to put your belief in me. Blessed are those who have not seen and believed. And that's uh, you and me. That's the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, 30 years later, Peter, the Apostle Peter, wrote uh, an epistle to the, uh, the believers uh, in, uh, that he was uh, uh, addressing. And he writes in 1 Peter 1.8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. And so Jesus says, blessed are those that haven't seen and still believe. Well, there was a very busy first resurrection day, resurrection morning, an appearance to Mary Magdalene, resurrection afternoon on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, resurrection night to the ten disciples there in that upper room, a week later to the 11 disciples and, and with Thomas. Personal encounters with the risen Christ. And this morning as we just think about John chapter 20, I want to think about some, some truths and some life lessons that we can learn from um, those three personal encounters that we looked at in John chapter 20. And so uh, follow along with me as we think about uh, making this uh, a part of our lives and applicable this morning Here's our first life lesson, and it's this, that Jesus knows our name. Jesus knows our name. John 20, verse 16, Mary Magdalene's in the garden, and she's crying, and she's weeping, and uh, she thinks someone's stolen the body of Jesus, and she's having a conversation, and it isn't until Jesus says, Mary! She recognizes it's the Messiah, it's the risen Christ. Um, names are important, aren't they? 
Names, names signify a, a personal relationship, a, uh, sometimes a close relationship. And so when people know our name and remember our name, um, it, it makes us feel good. It's better than saying, hey, hey, you. <laughs> names talk about a personal relationship. And the, the encouragement this morning as we think about Jesus calling Mary by name, is that Jesus knows our name. In John chapter 10, the, uh, the, this chapter about the good shepherd, John records the words of Jesus, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. By name. I don't know how many people are on the uh, planet today, the population of the world. It's maybe 7 billion, I'm guessing. Somewhere close, give or take a billion. (laughs) But I want you to know this morning that, that God is a personal God and God knows our name and remembers our name. Isaiah 49:16 See I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. Revelation chapter 20 talks about the fact that if we know Christ as our savior, our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus knows our name and he knows what's going on in our life. Psalm 139 that um, wonderful psalm that talks about who God is and his various characteristics and attributes. And in the first few verses of, of Psalm 139, David writes, You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. What do you know about me? You know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. You perceive my thoughts from afar off. You know what I'm thinking. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. God, you not only know my name, but you know when I get up. You know when I lie down. You know where I'm going. You know my thoughts. You know my words before I say them. God, you know everything about me. And that should bring great encouragement in our life. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talking to us about worry and anxiety. And like, so, you know, why are you worried? Why are you worried about food and clothing? Your heavenly Father knows your need of all that. And if I clothe the lilies of the field, I'm going to clothe you. And by the way, not one bird is going to fall from the sky that I'm not aware of. And I'm going to take care of you. Seek first God's kingdom. And all these things will be added unto you. I will be your provider. Matthew 10 says he knows the very number of hairs on our head. And so he knows our name. He's a, he's a personal God. He's not some distant God up in heaven that's not aware of what's going on in our everyday life. Well, secondly, is this. Jesus not only knows our name, but the second lesson is that the greatest need in the world today is for individuals to have a personal encounter with the risen Christ. Just like Mary did, just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the ten disciples in the upper room, and a week later, 
the ten with Thomas. What does our world need today? In this crazy, chaotic world in which we live, the answer to the world's problems is not in politics, and it's not in education, and it's not in more money. The answer is to have a personal encounter with Jesus. The answer is to have what Mary Magdalene had and the disciples on the road to Emmaus and the other disciples in that upper room. The world needs a personal encounter with Jesus. How is that going to happen? Um, is, is, is Jesus going to just like make a personal appearance? A theophany? He could do that if he wanted to. In fact, if you listen to what's happening over in the Middle East and a lot of um, in the Islamic world and the Muslim world of lots of Muslims that are coming to Christ uh, and you hear their testimony, I've, I've heard it shared many times. They say, I came to Christ because I had a vision and Jesus appeared to me in a, in a vision and I discovered that he is the true Savior. So he could do that. We tend in our evangelical thinking, we, we put God in this little box and God can, God can do that. But most likely, uh, the personal encounter with the risen Christ is going to come through his love letter. It's going to come through reading God's word. It's, it's going to come through uh, reading, the, reading the scriptures and reading the, uh, the good news of the, of the gospel. It's going to come through God's revelation of himself through scripture. And that's the, that's, that's the encounter that people need. And if we have unbelievers, family members, or friends, um, boy, the Gospel of John's a great place to start, isn't it? Say, hey, don't, you know, don't start in, don't start in Genesis, and you're going to get bogged down when you get to uh, you know, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Start with the Gospel of John, and uh, and then just uh, encourage people to read through the Gospel of John because it reveals who Jesus is. They're going to they're gonna have a personal encounter through God's word. They're going to have a personal encounter with Jesus through hopefully meeting followers of Jesus. Through you and me who have been called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. To be the, the eyes and the lips and the hands and the feet of Jesus to a, a lost and hurting world. As someone says, the only uh, Christ that most people will ever meet is going to be Christians. And we've been called to be his representatives. We've been called to be his ambassadors. We've been called to be um, his uh, followers that present Jesus and the good news. And so uh, that's what the world needs today. The answer is Jesus. The answer is the gospel, the good news. But I also want us to realize that um, the personal encounter with Jesus is not just for unbelievers. Uh, the personal encounter that we, we need in our world today is also to have a daily 
personal encounter with Jesus as followers of Jesus. And this is called fellowship and sanctification. And so it's not, it's not only, uh, to have a personal encounter to come to uh, receive Christ and, um, receive the good news of the gospel. But uh, Jesus has given us an invitation. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. This is written to believers. Here I am, words of Jesus. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is saying, I'm knocking at the heart's door, and it's written to Christians, and he says, I want fellowship. <laughs> I want you to slow down and, and take time to have a personal encounter with me. And so Jesus is longing for um, fellowship. He's longing for that personal encounter. And we can have a personal encounter with Jesus every day by reading this book. And uh, um, that's how we can have that daily personal encounter with him. This past week at Maranatha, a fellow by the name of um, Crawford Loritz has uh, been our speaker, very gifted pastor, very gifted teacher. He just resigned from his church in Atlanta, and he goes all over the country and all over the world uh, uh, speaking and teaching and preaching and uh, uh, Crawford Loritz is 71 years old. And he was talking about the, the, the need to be in this book on a regular basis. And he shared in, in one of his messages, he spoke six or seven times, but he shared in one of his messages and wasn't doing it from a, like, you know, pat, pat me on the back, look at me. But he said, when I was 15 years old, I made a commitment in my life that I needed to be in this book every day when I was 15. Crawford the Ritz is 71 years old. He said, I have been in God's word, reading God's word every day since then. He says, I can count on one hand the days that I missed. Now that's extremely rare. <laughs> that puts me to shame. But he was talking about the need for this book, and he's saying, we don't read it every day because we're, we're not desperate enough. And so we can have a personal encounter with God every day as we, as we get into uh, his word. And, um, you know, the old saying is God speaks to us through his word, and we speak to him through prayer. And uh, uh, we, need, we need that personal encounter. Thirdly and lastly, life lessons from John chapter 20. It says, Jesus always meets us at our point of greatest need. That Jesus always meets us at our point of greatest need. So here is these uh, three personal encounters with Jesus in John chapter 20. And the first one was Mary Magdalene. And, and what was Mary Magdalene's greatest need? Well, first of all, Earlier in her life, she needed to be delivered from demonic oppression, and Jesus did that. But here in the, in the storyline in John chapter 20, what Mary Magdalene needed was she needed truth. She was operating under a false narrative, a false assumption. 
When she got there, she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where he is. She was not operating on truth. She was operating on speculation and a false narrative. So what did Mary need? Mary needed truth. She needed to discover that what she thought in her heart, in her head and in her heart was not truth. And Jesus meets her and calls her by name and she then comes to understand the truth that Jesus is alive, that he has risen from the dead. And what will truth do? John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you what? Free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What do people desperately need in our world today? They need truth. Lifeway Research says 66% of Americans, when they did their survey, 66% of Americans believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. So two-thirds of Americans believe that Jesus raised from the dead. One-third of them don't. Um, The rest of the statistics, 20 don't believe and 14% are unsure. Listen to this statistics from Lifeway Research. It's the research arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. 29% of individuals who attend religious services at least monthly do not believe in the resurrection. (laughs) There's 30% of people who go to church at least once in a while and they don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It's worse in other places around the world. In England, 50% of British adults do not believe in the resurrection. One in four British adults who describe themselves as Christians don't believe in the resurrection. Well, I've got news for you. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you're not a Christian. Paul writes that very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ hasn't risen from the dead, we are in our sins. We're most miserable people. We're false teachers. We're false witnesses. We're without hope. And so what did Jesus, what, what did Mary need? Mary needed to know the truth. And people today are, need to know the truth. And um, it's a challenge today in our post-truth culture where everybody defines their own truth. Well, this is my truth. Truth is exclusive. Truth is found in the resurrected person of Christ and in, in his, his word. So Jesus meets us where we're at. Mary needed to know the truth. How about the ten disciples? Uh, the ten disciples on that resurrection Sunday night. What did they need? Well, they were fearful. They were afraid. They were locked down and afraid that the religious leaders were coming after them. And so Jesus appears to them and he offers them peace. And he offers them joy. And isn't it interesting that, and I haven't verified this, but someone has said that when you look at Scripture and read Scripture, the, the phrase fear not or do not be afraid is found 365 times in the Bible. One for each day. What's the message over and over again to us as believers? Don't, don't be fearful. Don't be afraid. And faith conquers fear. And Jesus appeared to them. And all of a sudden, their fear turned to joy. And that Jesus was alive. 
Jesus has come to conquer our fears. And Hebrews chapter 2 talks about the incarnation and why Jesus came. And he writes in the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 2.15, he says, And Jesus came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And so the greatest fear that most people have is the fear of death and dying. And the author of Hebrews says, Jesus came to, to deliver us from that fear. Why? Because the grave is empty. Jesus has conquered death. And uh, we no longer have to fear. Well, Jesus meets at, us at our point of greatest need. Mary needed to know the truth. The disciples needed to um, realize that Jesus was alive and, and no longer be afraid and fearful, and their fear turned to joy. But how about Thomas? Jesus met Thomas at his point of greatest need, and Thomas was doubting. Thomas wanted proof. Thomas had to see Jesus for himself, he said, or else I would not believe. So Thomas is wrestling with doubt. And Jesus comes to him and makes a, a personal appearance a second time to the disciples, this time with Thomas. And now Thomas believes. Someone has said wrestling with doubt is the doorway to faith. Wrestling with doubt is the doorway to faith. There's one passage in Scripture that says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so Thomas is, is doubting, but, it, but he's wrestling with those doubts. And then Jesus appears to him, and he believes. And for those who are doubting today, and there are many who, who doubt the truth of Scripture and who doubt the, the, the miracles of Jesus and who doubt the miracle of the resurrection, Jesus' invitation to them is come and see. Come investigate. Search the scriptures. This is what the Gospel of John's all about. He concludes chapter 20 with these words, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which aren't recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so Jesus meets us where we're at. He meets us at our point of greatest need. And he ministers to us. For Mary, she needed to know the truth. For the disciples, they needed to be delivered from their fear. For Thomas, he had to be delivered from his doubt. And I don't know what your burden or need is this morning, but Jesus will meet you right at that point of need. He's the God who never lets us down. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He will provide for our every need. Jesus will meet us right where we're at. And so, personal encounters with the risen Christ. What the world needs is they need Jesus. And we're to be those ambassadors for him. And those of us that know him as our Savior, what do we need? We need a daily encounter with him. Let me encourage you to, to be in this book. 
I love the phrase from Dr. George Sweeting, the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And so uh, the new beginning would be to get in his word and do it on a regular basis. And uh, God will bless you and encourage you. Jesus changes everything. And when we have a personal encounter with him, our lives are changed forever. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for uh, the truth of Scripture. Thank you that when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. Lord, I thank you that back many years ago, in November of 1963, I had a personal encounter with Jesus. And I realized my need of a Savior. And I realized that uh, even as an eight-year-old boy, I was a sinner and I needed my sins forgiven. Lord, I thank you for that encounter with you. Lord, I pray that uh, as we go forth from here in the places that you have called us to and our uh, places of influence, Lord, may we be ambassadors for you in offering the, the good news of the gospel to others. Lord, I also pray that uh, we would make a commitment to be people that have an encounter with you every day. Help us to realize that you are standing at the door of our heart, waiting and knocking, and you want to have fellowship with us. Lord, may we, uh, may we do that. May we make that commitment as we will grow in our faith. And Lord, we know that um, for those that are um, here with burdens and needs, Lord, thank you that you meet us right where that need is and that you are our burden bearer and our provider. And Lord, we thank you for that. Now, Lord, we pray that you would uh, just uh, guide us and bless us as we uh, conclude this service. May we go uh, from here encouraged um, because of who you are and what you've done for us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.